Ladies and gentlemen, we do thank you very much for your attention, and now we invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to our top travel destinations. I am your host, Kevin Flanagan. I have been editor of the weekly travel news column in the Sunday Independent and the Fine Wine and Food Guide. And I am here to use my decades of experience to help you know exactly where to stay, eat, drink, shop and explore when visiting the world's top travel destinations. So sit back and enjoy the wonders of travel as we take off on our magical journey together. Welcome to our special on one of my favourite parts of all London, Covent Garden. This is a very special area, a historical, a vital London landmark. It's located in the heart of London's West End, if you haven't already visited. It's steeped in history and cultural significance. And it can be traced back centuries, and it continues to this day to play a vital role in the city's cultural and social fabric. So let's dive in with just a brief history of Covent Garden and why it holds such significance. The area that is now Covent Garden was actually originally a garden, believe it or not, and orchard belonging to the convent of St. Peter at Westminster, which is how it's got its name. Covent is actually a corruption of convent. In the 16th century, the land was acquired by Henry VIII, and during this period, the Tudor period, it was used as a market garden, and it supplied fruits and vegetables to the city. Covent Garden, as we know it today, began to take shape in around the 17th century when Francis Russell, who was the fourth Earl of Bedford, commissioned a very famous artigo, Indigo Jones, to design the piazza surrounded by buildings. And this area is really London's first formal square. And it became the fashionable district. And this is what you see today. So we're looking at something that's well over 300 years old. The Covent Garden Piazza, which we will be walking around, became one of London's principal food markets. And then it was joined to give it this unique energy by the Royal Opera House, which was originally the Theatre Royal, and this was opened in 1732. And this started to turn London into one of the world's great performing centres for the arts. The 19th century, we saw this bustling array of goods and the market still creating food for the ravenous population. But the congestion and sanitation issues that were going to cause a major rethink started to surface. And uh, this is what we saw today. There's a huge, beautiful covered market right next to the Opera House. And this was when I first discovered in the 1960s Covent Garden, this was where the floral market was, the flower market, made famous, of course, by George Bernard Shaw and My Fair Lady, which was just beyond the flower market. You'll see the St. Paul's and you'll see this is where the arcade where the original Eliza Doolittle sold her flowers. So it's all really interesting how history jumps up and bites you as you walk around Covent Garden. So this is what really happened. This now hub for street performers and tourists and 
thronged with people nearly didn't happen because of the congestion because of the flower market it was decided that they had to move the market out that was fine but what they were going to do once all those beautiful buildings were empty was to knock them down and put up a car park and offices. Luckily, the citizens of London rose up and fought the government and there was a rethink and it was turned into a preserved area in the 1970s when I was going there regularly. I can remember still there were bombed out pits from the war that hadn't been rebuilt. There were lots of street graffiti and lots of local people getting together and saying, no, we will not allow these developers to take over and destroy what is a fantastic community. They won. And the market was turned into what is possibly one of the greatest tourist attractions. You may find that a little bit too much when you go there. It is actually thronged with tourists and the flower market and the beautiful buildings are full of some great shops. But there's quite a lot of tourist tat, it has to be said. But it is certainly preferable, in my humble opinion, to gazing at a car park and an office building. So we'll take all our wins. I really got interested in Covent Garden through the performances of perhaps the greatest ballet partnership in the history of dance. If you haven't heard of it, it was the Nomiko was Fontaine and Nureyev. And in the 60s, they created this unprecedented level of excitement and hysteria in the world of ballet. They became as famous as the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And I was lucky enough to be inserted right into the heart of this incredible energy. Just to give you a little bit of a background, if you don't know anything about ballet, Margot Fontaine was the great English ballerina. She was in her 40s and about to retire. And this, in 1962, at the height of the Cold War, was when Rudolf Noreyev, this beautiful, godlike Russian dancer, defected in Paris from the Kira, from this great Soviet ballet machine. Uh, he risked his life and he fled to the West. It nearly caused a war. But once all of that had settled, Noriev made his home in London and he was invited to dance with Fontaine. Now, Fontaine nearly turned him down. Isn't this one of these unique occasions in art? Fontaine said it was mutton dress with dancing with lamb. She was too old. But she was persuaded by Ninette de Valois, who was an Irish woman who ran the Royal Ballet, who saw something that nobody else saw. Their first performance in Giselle, with him as a young 20-something god and her as this beautiful, cool 40-something ballerina, set the world alight. And that's what I got into. I was very lucky enough in 1967 to be taught by a gentleman called David Hurst. David Hurst was an absolute dote. He talked about the Beatles. He talked about Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds as being LSD. He was hip. He was 60s. He was a swinging London guy. And I'd met this girl at a, a local town hall dance. Her name was Caroline. And I had been starstruck by her. I hadn't asked her out for a date, so what I did was I managed to inveigle my sister, who was best friends with Caroline's sister, and I got to hear that she loved ballet. So I went along to Mr. Hurst and said, OK, David, can you get me tickets for the ballet? 
He turned up trumps. He got me tickets for a Fontaine and Nureyev performance. I didn't know how rare these were, but actually you had to go into a lottery to buy tickets. Such was the demand for Fontaine and Nureyev. You had to pay a lot of money, and these two tickets landed in my lap. Well, I went along on my first date to my first ballet performance. The date turned into a disaster. Caroline didn't really talk to me all night. I'm not too sure why, but maybe she can hear this podcast and throw in a little note as to why she blanked me all night. Anyway, I did fall in love with something else, which was ballet. I was mesmerized. I was mesmerized by turning up at the opera house and seeing these huge limousines and women getting out in first stalls and tiaras. It was such a buzz. Inside, there were all these elegant, beautifully dressed people. And when the curtain went up and the lights went down, This vision appeared on stage, this beautiful man with muscles on his spit, as someone once described it, who took over the stage and had, by the end of the show, people were shaking their jewellery and standing up on their chairs. It was like a posh version of a Beatles concert. They went bonkers, and so did I, and so began a love affair with Covent Garden, the Royal Ballet, and Fontaine and Nureyev, and that's how I got to know Covent Garden. The only way you could get tickets for a Fontaine and Nureyev performance was to turn up on the day, because it was sold out months in advance, and you had to get up at 4am, i travel from Wimbledon and queue at 5am, and the first 44 people got a standing ticket. Now, It was, I think, two and sixpence for a standing ticket compared to the 20-odd quid that you'd pay if you were a normal punter. And you'd turn up in the evening, you'd dress up as much as you can as a 14, 15-year-old. And they were some of the best evenings of my life. I saw this incredible partnership. I'd drag along Spencer or Paul, my two school friends, and force them to join me at the crack of dawn. But we did have fun. And I can remember still the flower market market was operating, Floral Street was full of trucks, and you'd be pushing away the diesel fumes, and it was such a buzz. And my history with this area of Covent Garden had a sort of a magical ending. Later on in life, I became so obsessed with ballet, after I'd finished at the Court Old Institute doing my degree, I decided to become a ballet dancer. I know, it's mad. I was sort of successful because in those days, male dancers had no competition. Everybody was a girl dancer, and if you went to an audition, there were hundreds of girls turning up and a few boys. And so I got to actually appear with Nureyev just down the road from Covent Garden at the London Coliseum on St. Martin's Lane. And to cut a long story short, I took part in the last appearance of Fontaine and Nureyev, which is a Marguerite and Armand in 1977. Nureyev was a stately 39. Fontaine was 57. The world arrived. All the ballet domains from New York, Japan came and the place went bananas. And so you can see my love for Covent Garden, this incredible 
vibrant part of the city. It, it was part of my upbringing. It was part of my love for something so extraordinary. And I also then got into opera as well, taking tickets at the Coliseum, going and seeing things like the Ring Cycle at the Opera House. Now I've shared my love for the place. I'm going to give you a quick tour of what you can see when you next rock up in London. It's easy to get to Covent Garden. The tube goes there. You can get the Piccadilly line. You get the big lift all the way up to the top. The place is heaving. Go to the market to start off with. When you get out of the underground turn right, there's the market right in front of you. All the stalls it's absolutely wonderful. There are some good shops. There's a bit of tat. Just avoid that. On the left, you'll see this huge white monolith. That is the Royal Opera House. Turn left down Floral Street and you will see sort of like a bridge of size. And that's where the Royal Ballet School now train. And you can go in there. You can still get tickets on the day that won't cost you an arm and a leg. So I would check out the market. Go in. Go and see a performance of opera or ballet. If you turn up on the day, you can get it for under 20 quid. Once you've seen the ballet or the opera, you can also go in there and have a cup of coffee. You can go into the Royal Opera House. The, the whole system there is pretty impressive. You can have a meal. It won't be cheap, but it's maybe a little treat. Then I would suggest you go outside and watch the famous street performers. Now, I was there just before Christmas and I had one of the funniest hours I think I've spent in a very long time. Underneath the portico of the famous St. Paul's where the flower lady used to ply her trade, this is where the street performers of Covent Garden now entertain visitors from around the world. The particular guy we saw was a trapeze artist. And for an hour, he brought the kids forward. He had this wonderful Alsatian dog and he made us laugh, weep almost. He picked on people in the audience and it was great fun. So you definitely check out the street performers. You can even go online and you can see who's performing. But I would just rock up. You won't be disappointed one way or another. It's going on from Covent Garden itself and the actual Piazza, which of course we know is Indigo Jones, I would check out a couple of places. Apart from St. Paul's Church, if you go to the back, this is what's known as the Actors Church and it's a beautiful place and some of the great famous people, their service, like Laurence Olivier, their service was performed there. You can go into that church. It's a lovely, peaceful area in the heart of this busy Covent Garden maelstrom of activity. Further up on the right is Neil's Yard. This is a really colourful courtyard. It's a, sort of a hidden gem, really. It's a peaceful spot to relax. So I definitely try that. On the street down, you'll come across these unique shops. Last time I was there, there was a Japanese tea shop, which is absolutely wonderful to have your tea there, to have a Japanese cake, which are delicious. And it really is an exceptional place because as you meander around, What's unique about big cities like London and New York and Paris is they'll have shops just dedicated to one thing. They'll have a shop dedicated to buttons. They'll have a shop dedicated to Japanese tea. They'll have a shop dedicated to actors' makeup. It's incredible. Wonder and be in wonder. As you go down towards the West End, you will come across the St. Martin's Lane and a whole plethora of West End shows. You can catch a show. Again, you can get a ticket on the day. There is actually a ticket stall, and just we'll leave details online, uh, where you can pick up a ticket for returns or cancellations, and they won't cost you an arm and a leg. 
Another place I'd check out is the Seven Dials. Just a little short walk from Covent Garden up near the right before you get to Piccadilly Circus. Ask for the Seven Dials. You'll find it on Google Maps. There are actually seven streets converging to the central point and you've got places like the Ivy, which is a great club. You've got art galleries. And actually, within a five-minute walk, if you go the opposite direction, you will end up at the National Portrait Gallery and the National Gallery. So as you can see... There are absolutely wonderful places in the area to keep you entertained. I would suggest have a whole day here. I was talking to a family friend and I said, well, you can have a whole day in Covent Garden and not spend very much. Get there, get the tube, come out at Covent Garden and walk. And once you've hit these main spots, you will find that you are surrounded by wonderful and entertaining English culture. You've also got some great pubs. The Lamb and Flag is one of the oldest. It's down Rose Street. You'll find it. I'll put descriptions in the accompanying article on this. And absolutely extraordinary. Very classic pub fare. Definitely worth a visit. My own favourite was the Nags Head, which is opposite the stage door where I used to meet Mr. Hurst to get our tickets. They even have a special bell that rings because the or- the orchestra used to drink in there. Maybe that doesn't happen so much nowadays. And the bell would ring in the pub to get them back for the next act. Some great restaurants around there. You've got the Ivy Market Grill, which is quite posh. I like uh, Duck and Waffle. This is a, a really interesting all-day dining signature dishes, which I love. And if you want to go very posh, just another five minutes down the road going towards the Thames and the Strand, you'll find the Savoy. As I've described in the main podcast on London, the Savoy is worth a visit. You can go in there, you can have a cup of tea, you can have a glass of champagne if you wish to treat yourself. And it's one of those iconic places built on the proceeds of Gilbert and Sullivan operettas, still steeped with this mix between art and business. So places to stay, places to see, you, you, you will never, ever go wrong by visiting Covent Garden. And I just hope I've shared a little bit about the love for the place. But at the end of the day, it's one of those places you walk and you just take in the atmosphere. And if there's one extra little place, there's a little Catholic church, which I used to go to as a student as I was brought up as a Catholic, and you can go in there and again another actor's church and you can sit quietly and just take in the fact that you're alive, you're in London. Does it get any better than that? I don't think so. (laughs) 